All right. Well, um, I want to just uh, do a little, just a, before we jump into the text today and, and start preaching, I want to address what um, has been going on the last few weeks at our church um, and in the city, rather. And that's, uh, you, you know, you guys have had a, we've had a serial bomber here in Austin. And it came out in the news a couple of days ago after they found him that he actually attended our church a handful of times uh, during 2012 and 2013. Uh, we went back and extensively studied our records and looked at given records and talked to the staff that would have been a part of, you know, our church during that time and tried to track down kind of this guy's involvement. It was, it was minimal at best, but the thing that kind of haunted me and still does is the fact that it hit me that we're, we're a size of a church that it's entirely possible for, for somebody to come into our doors and really be hurting and really be in a bad, dark place and, and nobody knows about it. And I think that's the thing that I'm, that's keeping me up at night. And so I'm gonna just say this and then we're gonna move on. But if you're here and, and you're in that place where you're hurting, I just want you to know that you may think that I'm just some guy or we're just some group of people that don't care about you, but we really do. We really, really, really do. The reason that I left my job 15 years ago and moved to this town and brought my young family with me and lived in a hotel for a few weeks in a cruddy apartment for about a year and started this church is that so people that are hurting could find the hope and the, and the truth and the reality that there is a God that desperately loves you and wants you to give your life to him and follow him. And so if that's you, we have a counseling center. We have um, elders. We have deacons. We have staff. We have you know, community group leaders that love you and want to wade into your story with you. And so don't wait any longer to reach out for help because we care about you and we love you, all right? And so let's move on. Um, I wanna invite you to open up your Bible to the book of John, <clears throat> chapter one. We're gonna, we're gonna get there in just a few minutes. I've got a, kind of a big intro today and then a really short uh, ending to the sermon. And so today's gonna be a little bit different. We're gonna end the sermon a little bit different, which I'll share about here in a few minutes. <clears throat> but um, open up to John chapter one and we'll get there in just a minute. So last week, our campus pastors preached <clears throat> across our campuses and, and here at downtown, Tyler David, our, our downtown campus pastor, preached a message on personal evangelism. It was really good. It was really good. If you hadn't heard it, I'd encourage you to, to go and listen to it on our podcast. But he said something last week. I was sitting here and I was listening and he said something and I wrote it down because it stuck with me. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you the quote. And um, Tyler, do you feel special that I'm quoting you in my sermon today? Very good, good, I'm glad. You should feel honored. This is a quote from Tyler David. Um, <clears throat> he said, the reason many of us look at all the people that don't know Christ and are not grieved is because we don't see what Paul saw. He said, we don't see image bearers of God worshiping idols. We just see a great culture and a great city. And when I heard that, I was, I was instantly convicted because I'm guilty of that. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm a pastor. And Austin, Austin is just such an incredible city. It's unbelievable. I'm convinced it's the best city in the world. And I've proven it to you before, but I'm not gonna walk through that. It's the best city in the world. You know, the food is incredible. The weather, except from June through September, is incredible. The, the culture here is phenomenal. The people are amazing. It's an incredible, incredible city. By the way, if you're listening to this over podcasts, 
Please don't move here, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, anyway. But it's an incredible city, and so I have a tendency as a believer to kind of get, and we do, kind of get lulled to sleep and easily forget that this is a city that is full of people that bear the image of God, but don't worship God. And because they don't worship God, because they're image bearers and they don't worship God, they're missing out on why God created them in the first place. They're completely missing the point for why they breathe air and have life in their bodies. He continued, he said, um, we may see, here's another quote here, we may see sorrow or pain, but we interpret that as being just the way it is and hope someone else will deal with it. Uh, Isn't that true? He said, instead of caring about others, we privatize our faith and keep the best of it to ourselves. Now, I think here's his point, and I believe he was just right on the money with this, that that as Christians, I'm just realizing, especially here in America, that the vast majority of us don't take personal ownership personal ownership of the brokenness or the lostness in our city. We don't take personal ownership of the fact that the overwhelming majority of people that we bump into every day of our lives are image bearers of God, but don't worship God, which is why they are created, why they were created. We hold back and we keep our faith to ourselves with the hope and the expectation that other people will deal with it. As a matter of fact, I want to just ask you this. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I want to just kind of dig into how you're right now living your life in regards to you being a sharer of the gospel and a a spreader of the good news of Jesus Christ. So think about this. Here's a question. If you were the last person that was a believer in Austin, Texas, think about it. I want you to imagine, for whatever reason, you were the very last human being in Austin, Texas, that was a Christian. There were no more churches, there were no more pastors, no more evangelists, no more preachers, no more teachers, no more missionaries. It was just you and just you alone. You were the last standing believer in Christ. Is the way that you are currently living your life as a Christian, would it be enough to cause the message of Christ to continue to spread beyond you and to flourish and thrive in our city? If you're the last Christian here in Austin, is the way that you're living your life right now, would that be enough for God to use it to spread the message of Jesus to the rest of our city? I think for most of us, the answer is probably not. Probably not. Why? Because what Tyler says is true. So many of us have privatized our faith. The faith is there, the salvation's there, the, the worship's there, but we've privatized it. And we've left the brokenness of our city and the lostness of our city for somebody else to address and to wade into. You know, and stuff like that becomes really highlighted when we have weeks like the last three weeks here in our city. It becomes highlighted when we have weeks like we've just gotten through. You know, one of the interesting things about the last three weeks when we had a serial bomber in our city, one of the fascinating things to me as I kind of paid attention to it is that this is one of the rare instances that I can remember in the time that I've been here when the entire city of Austin, not parts of it, but an entire city came all together at one time, came face to face with fear, that we all together came face to face with kind of the sense of hopelessness, and we all together kind of came face to face with the reality of death, all at the exact same time. 
Now listen, fear and death and hopelessness, it's always with us, it's always a part of our city, but we're kind of sheltered here in a lot of ways in Austin. A lot of us are sheltered here. And, and so it's rare when an entire city, white, black, Latino, Asian, poor, rich, north, south, east, and west, everybody comes face to face with real fear together and real hopelessness together and, and the real reality of death together. And I started writing this sermon, excuse me, they started writing this sermon before, I, before they found this guy. I did, I started writing it before they found him and the city was still kind of gripped in the throes of all that fear and uncertainty and, and the thing that kind of hit me is this, and this is why I wrote this down and this is before they found the guy. I wrote this down. I said, you know, we may not, as Christians, we may not have the solution to find this guy but here's what we do have. We don't have the solution to find this guy, but by God, we have the solution to the fear and the hopelessness and the reality of death that is facing our city right now. And that, that, that solution is the person of Jesus Christ. The solution is the person of Jesus Christ. You see, as Christians, folks, we know, we know this for a fact, that through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, alone, a person is able to look at fear and they're able to look in the face of hopelessness and they're able to look in the face of death and say, you know what? You don't scare me anymore. I'm not afraid of you anymore. You don't sway me anymore. Why? Because through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, fear and hopelessness and death has already been defeated. And it's a matter of time until that we be ultimately done with forever. We have the solution, amen? We have it. So here's the question. Are you sharing that one solution? We've got it, and a world that's facing it, are you sharing that one solution? Are you sharing that one solution of Jesus in a way that will bring actual peace into fear? Are you sharing that one solution in a way that will bring hope into hopelessness? And yes, are you sharing that solution in a way that's gonna bring life into the face of death? Or are you privatizing your faith and hoping somebody else will deal with all that stuff? So here's what I'm gonna do with the rest of our message today. It's pretty short. I'm gonna just give you three quick things, real fast. Three quick things about what you can do as just an individual person to stop privatizing your faith and begin to be a person that wades into the lostness and brokenness of our city with the solution that you already have, all right? And they're gonna be super simple. This is, you're not gonna be blown away. There's nothing profound today. There are three things you already know, but I'm gonna remind you of them, and then we're gonna kind of do them. So here's the first one. You ready for this? Put your seatbelt on. Here's the first one. Way that you can wade into the brokenness and lostness of our city. And here's the answer. Start sharing with people that, that, that solution. I know that's profound. <laughs> Start sharing with people the solution to fear and hopelessness and the reality of death. Start telling people about it. The scripture's really clear. It's like, how are people gonna hear if nobody tells them? It's a great question. So stop privatizing your faith, believer, and start being a person that weighs into that lostness because you have the solution. Now, here's the thing. I know that when I said that, be a person that shares the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. I know that there's a lot of you in the room 
that probably just right then and there when I said it, you started tuning me out. And the reason that you started tuning me out is because for a lot of us, personal evangelism is something that a lot of us kind of gave up on a long time ago. Something a lot of us gave up on a long time ago. I know this, guys, because this is, this is something that I personally struggle with. Personal evangelism is, I'm gonna get kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention for admitting this. This is something I struggle with as a person. You go, wait a minute, Matt, you're a pastor. How do you struggle with personal evangelism? I just do. See, I, I started thinking about this week and I got really convicted. Actually, it was last week when I heard Tyler's sermon, I got really convicted. Probably 99.9 something, 99% of the people that I've led to Christ have been through my preaching. And I've led, I've led, there's no telling, over the 20 something years I've been in ministry, the thousands of times I've preached, I've probably led thousands of people to Christ from speaking about Jesus and sharing the gospel from the stage. But I think maybe the number of people that I've personally one-on-one led to Christ is probably around 10 to 15. And I was thinking about it, I was like, why is that? Why is that? And I think there's a couple reasons why. It's not that I, it's not for been lack of trying. I've shared my faith many, many times, but I just personally, I'm not very good at it. I stink at it actually. And why is that? My wife tells me this. My wife says that I have a, a resting mean face, which I didn't know what that was. But when I'm just, that's just my normal face when I'm not. And I, it is, that's my happy face. And so I, like I'll go to the line in Whole Foods and I'll just be, walk up and, and, the, and the lady at Whole Foods starts giving me the stink eye. And I'm like, why are you looking at me that way? Well, the real question is, she's like, why are you looking at me that way? And my wife's like, raise your eyebrows, smile when you talk to people because people think they hate you, you hate them, right? And so got a resting mean face, so that's strike one. And then I'm really, um, I'm really introverted. I've shared that with you guys before. And so when I meet a stranger, I'm probably pretty awkward because I don't know what to talk about. And, it's, and I have social anxiety, and so it just weirds me out to talk to people. And so it's probably just awkward to begin with. And so, so I'll hear a sermon on personal evangelism like I did last week, and I get all convicted and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this, Jesus, you and me, here we go. And so I overcome my introversion and I overcome my fear and I overcome my, my social anxiety and, I, and, I, and all the awkwardness that I know is gonna bubble up and I get prayed up and I'm like, all right, God, give me opportunities. And so I get on an airplane and fly somewhere and I sit there and I take off my headphones. I'm like, all right, we're gonna do this, Jesus, here we go. And somebody comes and sits beside me and I strike up a conversation with them which is always really painful. And, um, and then inevitably, inevitably they ask me what I do for a living. And that's typically when the wheels fall off the conversation because I say, well, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, and then they put their headphones on. And so I've learned to sorta not tell the complete truth in that situation. I tell them I'm a writer, or I tell them I'm a football coach, and, and they're like, oh, really, where do you coach? And then we start talking, but inevitably, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna talk about Jesus, and so I'll make some awkward turn into a spiritual conversation because I stink at it, and then eventually, they'll, they'll, I'll look at them and go, hey, do you wanna trust in Christ, your Lord and Savior? And they look back at me and go, no, not at all. No, I don't wanna do that. And so after about 150 times of being rejected like that, Tyler, because I stink at it, I don't know how to reason with them, I just get discouraged. Anybody, you don't raise your hand, but anybody else, are you there, right? That's me. And so um, I have this tendency to kind of just give up and stop. So how does a person like me, 
scared and awkward and has a resting mean face? How do people like us share the good news? How do we not privatize our faith? Especially if you're not a preacher like me who kind of gets off the hook because you do it on Sundays. How do you actively engage with sharing the good news? Well, let's jump into John because he gives us kind of a, a real, it's kind of like evangelism for dummies. That's what John 1 is. So real quickly, John 1, 43, check it out. Again, don't, don't think, wow, that was a long intro. We've got like 30 more minutes of the sermon. No, we don't. Okay, we're almost done. I told you it's gonna be quick. John 1, 43, check it out. So Jesus is calling his disciples. Jesus is calling his disciples. And uh, he's calling them to himself. John 1, 43, he says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Okay, think Sea of Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And Philip immediately follows Jesus. And that's gonna happen. There are gonna be times where you share your faith, just like Jesus did. Share, you know, say, hey, follow me. And people are gonna go, yep, I will. And they'll follow Jesus, they'll do it immediately. So that's what Philip did. Now watch this in verse 44. It says, Philip was from the Seda, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Philip was from the same city that Peter and his brother Andrew were from. And he had this guy named Nathaniel that, is, that was his buddy. In verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so Philip meets Jesus. He, he gives his life to him. He realizes that Jesus actually is the Messiah. He's, he's following Jesus now. He says, look, you know what? I'm gonna go tell my buddy Nathan, I'm gonna go tell Nathaniel here that I found the Messiah. So, so Philip walks up to his buddy Nathaniel and says, hey, Nathaniel, guess what? You remember the Bible? In Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and, and then like in Jeremiah and Isaiah where it talks about how there's gonna be this guy who's gonna come and he's gonna save us from our sin and he's gonna establish the kingdom here in Israel and, and save us and establish a new kingdom. You remember that? Nathaniel's like, yeah. Philip says, guess what? I found him. I found him. His name is Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. You know Joseph the carpenter? It's his kid. It's his son. Now, here's the thing. You're like, good for Philip. Great job, Philip. Philip is a personal evangelist. He is is applying what he's learned. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing, but here's the thing, right? It's good for him. Watch how Nathaniel responds. Watch how Nathaniel responds to Philip's personal evangelism in John 1, 45. So Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now watch what Nathaniel says to him in verse 46. Nathaniel says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel just straight running shoots him down. Okay, now let me just explain to you what he says. Nazareth, I've been there before. Nazareth, don't think Israel, don't think city, don't think Austin, don't think, even think small town. Think like Driftwood, Texas, where the Salt Lake is. It is in the middle of nowhere. It's a handful of houses. There is nothing there. It's on the side of a hill. It is difficult to get to. It is the backwoods middle of nowhere. And so Philip walks up to his buddy Nathaniel and say, hey, I have found the savior of the world. He's from Driftwood, Texas. And then Nathaniel says, dude, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. The savior of the world, man, did not come 
from Nazareth. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I want you to watch what Philip says next because that's when I would have given up. That's when I would have walked away. If I'm Philip, that's when I say, I'm horrible at this. Jesus can do his own stuff here. I, that's when I walk away, but Philip doesn't. And I, watch what, I want you to watch what he says next because this is key, what he says next. This is key for how people like you and me can actually become active good news spreaders. John 1.45 again. It says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything come from Nazareth? Shoots him down, but watch what Philip said. Philip said to him, come and see. So Nathanael says, hey, the savior of the world, man, he did not come from Nazareth. Shoots him down and then Philip's response was awesome. He said, I tell you what, Nathanael, why don't you come and see for yourself? Why don't you come and see for yourself? Just come with me and see. And that's fascinating to me. He gets shot down, but Philip doesn't argue with him in return. Philip doesn't reason with him like like Paul does in Acts 17. All he does is this. He, He doesn't pull out a Bible and start poking intellectual and theological holes in Nathaniel's argument. He simply looks at his friend who just blew up his attempts at personal evangelism and said, why don't you just come see for yourself? what Jesus is all about. So let's read it one last time. John 1, 46, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And in John 1, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. In 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under a fig tree, I saw you, because Jesus had seen him earlier. In verse 49, Nathanael answered to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, and you are the king of Israel. I love that. Philip does not argue with Nathanael. He doesn't preach at Nathanael. He doesn't reason with Nathanael. He simply invited his buddy Nathanael to see Jesus for himself. And so he brings him to Jesus, and Jesus takes it from there. Philip doesn't change Nathaniel's heart, but Jesus did. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're off the hook for sharing our faith. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be able to reason with people about our faith and why it's right and why it's true. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a theological foundation and understanding and be able to give a defense for the faith and the hope that is within you, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this, is that sometimes, sometimes the best thing you can do, instead of personally trying to persuade or personally trying to argue somebody into the kingdom, or, or, sometimes, or try to fix their theological fallacies, sometimes the best thing you can do is just say, hey, wait a minute, you know what, why don't you just come see for yourself? Why don't you come check Jesus out for yourself? And then trust Jesus to kind of handle the rest. All right, well, Matt, what does that look like? I thought about it, and I think it, it could be as simple as, as inviting someone into your circle of Christian friends and letting them encounter what real biblical community looks like. And they can see Jesus through your community, which they're supposed to, because the Bible says they're supposed to know we're Christians by our love. And so ideally, you can invite them into your circle of friends and they can see such holiness and they can see such love and they can see such a difference that they go, wow, 
There must be a God. Tell me about this God that is creating this incredible community that you're experiencing. That might mean inviting people into your home and letting them see you be a loving Christian wife or a loving Christian husband or a loving Christian father or a loving Christian mother and see the difference in your life and the way that you're raising your kids and the way that you're operating in your marriage and letting them see Jesus Christ lived out through you and those things so that to get to the point like what in the world is giving you the ability and the power to love your wife that way and your kids that way? That might be as simple as inviting someone to read the Bible with you. It's actually a really powerful tool People in Austin are not necessarily churched, but they're spiritual. And a lot of times they come, if they are church, they come with a lot of baggage with past experiences in church. And so one of the best thing you could do is just say, hey, would you be willing to just come and read the scriptures with me? I know a lot of Christians that do that and they're having a ton of success in seeing people come to Jesus and give their lives to Christ because they just sit down with them, they read the gospel of John and they talk about it a little bit and that's it. You're just saying, hey, I'm not gonna argue into the kingdom. This is Jesus, check, check him out, see what he has to say. And he wins their heart. And maybe that means you do. Invite somebody to church. There's, there's nothing wrong with that as an evangelistic tool. I know that at times churches have shamed you and said you have to be doing this on your own, but it's okay to say, hey, do you just wanna come with me to church? There's a reason that we preach the Bible verse by verse. We're in the middle of it right now, but we just got finished with First and Second Peter. We're about to jump into Jonah. There's a reason that we do that. So one of the reasons, so when you invite your friend to church, they're not encountering me. They're not encountering my cool stories and my cool stuff and me and my personality, but ideally the foundational thing that your friend is gonna encounter is the the word of God. And so as they get taken up to the word of God, they have to make a decision. Is that true? Is it not true? Am I gonna follow Christ? Am I not gonna follow Christ? That's why we preach the way that you do. So you can bring your friend here and they can encounter the living God for themselves. It's just such a simple evangelistic tool that says, I'm not gonna argue into the kingdom, you into the kingdom, but here's what I am gonna do. I'm gonna invite you into an environment where you can encounter Jesus for yourself. That's really refreshing for people like me. Stop privatizing our faith wade into the brokenness, wade into the lostness. I don't want this to be a sermon for you, church. Think about how you can do it and think about how you can do it soon. Okay, here's the second thing. And we're, we're really quickly, check this out. Super simple, you ready for this? How can you be an individual that does not privatize your faith but brings the solution of Jesus Christ into the brokenness, the hopelessness, the fear, and the reality of death in Austin, Texas? You ready for this? Here's number two, you pray. You pray. Sounds simple. You pray. But here's the question. Are you somebody that's forgotten the reality of the power of prayer? Has, has prayer become something you just walk through the motions and you, you're not intentionally entering into times of prayer believing that that is something that moves the heart and the hand of God in power? The Bible is full of stories where prayer moves the heart and the hand of God in power. I was, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna share with you really quickly one of my favorite stories in all the Bible in regards to prayer. This is so cool. Here's the story. So you have Elijah the prophet and you have his, um, his servant and they're hanging out together in this house and the army of Syria and the king of Syria decides they're gonna take Elijah out. And so the, the king of Syria surrounds the city that Elijah is in and he's got 
thousands of horses and chariots and soldiers and they surround the city. And so the, the, the servant wakes up early in the morning and he walks out and he looks up and he's about to get a drink of water, you know, and he looks around and he's like, oh man, that's a bunch of chariots. That's a bunch of horses. That's a bunch of soldiers. And they look pretty mean. And so he walks back in to tell Elijah. And so let me pick up the story in 2 Kings 6.15. When the servant of man, when the servant of the man of God, that's the servant of Elijah, rose early in the morning and he went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? So he goes into Elijah, he wakes him up and he says, Elijah, what in the world are we gonna do? There's an army that surrounds us right now. It's about to be game over. And in 2 Kings 6, 16, watch what Elijah said. This is crazy. He said, do not be afraid for those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And if you're the servant, you're like, man, what are you talking about? Because the servant's doing the math. Right? And he's doing the math and he's like, okay, there's one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 14,000. What do you mean? There's more of us than there are of them. And at that moment, Elijah begins to pray. It says, then Elijah prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elijah. And so the servant walks out, the city's absolutely surrounded with bad guys. Elijah prays, God, would you please open his eyes so that he sees that there's more of us than there are of them. And so, the, and so God opens his eyes and the servant looks up and all around the city and all around them are thousands and thousands and thousands of angels and fiery chariots. And the servant looks at Elijah and says, we're gonna be all right. <laughs> we're gonna be okay. Probably start talking smack to the Syrians. What's up, Syrians? Here's the thing. When Elijah was surrounded on all sides by his enemies, he has a choice. He has a choice. He can fall into fear and hopelessness and the reality of death that surrounded him or he could fall upon the one weapon that he had to fight back, which is prayer. And that's exactly what he did, and God moved. And I'll be honest with you, man, I don't know how prayer works. I don't know how it works the way it works. I don't know why it works the way it works. I don't know why God set this thing up the way it did, but I'm telling you, there are hundreds of examples in the scripture that prove this point, that when we work, when we toil, we work and we toil. But when we pray, God works. Over and over and over again in the Bible. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. But for some reason, most of us forget that or we don't believe that or become apathetic to that and we just simply don't do it. <clears throat> and, and, and man, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody in the room, I would imagine. I got so convicted, so convicted. Gosh, I got so convicted. I wept so hard the other night. I read an article about 
that young man that died? And that should have been the moment. I'm just asking for your forgiveness. That should have been the moment that rallied the elders of this church. And we were praying over text. We were, we were each individually praying. But we waited until Tuesday of last week before everybody was kind of back in town and we finally got together and we're like, okay, we've got to do something. We've got to get serious about this, which we should have done days and weeks before. And we did. We, we rallied um, the entire church and we had several of our campuses and we got real serious about it. And we beseech the Lord in sincerity and earnestly believing that we are at the point of hopelessness. God, we need you to intervene. And within about six hours, they, they found the guy. You know, and I don't, I don't know if, if our prayers had anything to do with that. I don't know. I'm so thankful for our police officers and all that, that dealt with that. I don't know how all that's connected. But here, here's the thing that hit me is why does it take a serial bomber in our city for us to get really serious about prayer? If we really believe that there's a God, like he's, we really believe that. This is not a game here. This is for real. There is a God in heaven. He's on a throne. He's the one that created the entire universe that he's in control, that he's sovereign, that he is all-powerful, why in the world would we not get on our faces asking him to move in power in our lives and in our city? Why in the world would we not do that? And so I'll tell you what we're gonna do. Um, I've got one little tiny more point after this, and then we're gonna let you go. But we're gonna do something a little different today. Dietrich, why don't you come on up? We're gonna just, we're gonna pray together. I'm not going to make you pray out loud. I'm not going to make you pray in groups. <clears throat> but Dietrich's going to come up, and we're just going to take three or four minutes, and I'm going to lead you in a time of prayer. The next 10 minutes of this service is, is pretty much going to be believer-centric. If you're a believer here, we're about to go to battle together. And so if you're here and that doesn't sound like something you want to do, you know, when I start praying, please feel free to leave. You, you can go, but we're, we're about to get after it together as a church. I believe God's real, and I'm inviting anybody else that believes that God is real to join me right now in getting on our faces before the Lord and beseeching him to move in our city. So that's what we're gonna do. And so I want you to take a second. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. There's room in the aisles if you want to. Nobody's looking. Just if you wanna get on your knees, you can. In fact, I think I'm gonna do that very thing. Let's pray for a few things. Let's take a few seconds and pray for the families that lost loved ones and pray for those that are still hurting right now because of the attacks in our city. Would you just, I don't... I know everybody probably doesn't know their names, but, but the Lord does. And so just would you beseech the Lord. There's some families that are hurting this morning because of what happened. <clears throat> pray for them.
Father, I lift up to you the families that are hurting today in our city. God, we, we confess to you that we don't understand why you allowed this to happen, God. I'm telling you, I've been walking with you for a long time. I don't understand, but I trust you because you've proven yourself good over and over and over again. And so right now, God, in a way that only you can, I pray that you would bring clarity and healing and comfort. The family that lost a dad, family that lost a son, the families, the mom and the two young men that are hurting, God, I pray that you would surround them with your presence in a profound way right now. All right, let's pray for this. Let's pray that God would begin to move in power in our city. Let's pray that God would use us to be solution bringers into the brokenness and the hurt in our city in a way that brings revival. Maybe it's been a really long time since you've asked God, God, use me to help bring revival of your spirit in the city of Austin. Would you ask that crazy prayer right now of him? Do it right now. Father, right now by your spirit, would you change people's hearts and lives? For those that are running from you, I pray that today would be a day of repentance, a day that they would turn to you and raise their hand and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Father, I pray that you would use men and women, the young and old, raise them up in our church to be bold proclaimers of the solution, Jesus Christ, the message, the gospel, Would you use them in power in their workplaces, in their schools? Would you let them cast aside the sin that so easily entangles them and run the race with endurance, God, for your name's sake? We ask it in Jesus' name. And finally, I want you to pray a very simple prayer. Would you pray that God would remind you in the deepest places of who you are that there is more of us than there are of them? think so many of our visions and views of God has been too small. Ask God to open your eyes. Lord, God of heaven and earth, please open our eyes that we may see that there are more of us than there are of them. Greater is he that lives in us than lives in this world. Father, raise us up to be a people that choose this day whom we will serve. 
Father, I pray that we would be a people that turn from our wicked ways. That we would cry out to you and that you would hear our cry and that you would heal our land. God, I ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And church, here's the final thing. Here's the final thing that you can do to be a person that wades into the lostness and brokenness of our city with the solution of Jesus Christ. And this is gonna sound weird to you. You may have never heard this in your life, but you're gonna hear it today. And here it is, y'all ready for this one? You can sing, you can sing. See, listen real carefully, I'm almost done, listen to this. We have a tendency to look at singing and worship as a response to the deliverance of God. In other words, God does something powerful in us or in the nations or in our church. And so our response is, okay, we're gonna sing. Like next week, Jesus rose from the grave. And so our response is we're gonna sing, we're gonna worship. And so we have this tendency to look at worship as a response to the deliverance of God. But in the scripture, But in the Bible, there are many times with singing where singing is a means to the deliverance of God. Singing is a means of the deliverance of God. That in a very real sense, worship through song is a weapon of battle. I'm gonna read this to you real quick. In 2 Chronicles 20, 17, there's this army that's coming against uh, uh, Judah in Jerusalem, the people of God. And God says this, you will not need to fight in this battle. You're not gonna need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Jerusalem and Judea, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them for the Lord your God will be with you. He's like, hey, stand up, go out. You're not even gonna have to fight because I'm gonna be there with you in your midst. So why in the world? Why in the world are they not gonna have to fight? What do we do? We just walk out on the battlefield? God's gonna be with us? Do we stand there? What do we do? In 2 Chronicles 20, 18, it says, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judea and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army. He said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were all routed. John Piper has a quote that says this. Singing God isn't just a nice emotional trip we take on a Sunday to spice up a worship service, but worship is an attack against sin and Satan. And I believe that with all my heart. And so that's what we're gonna do today, church. We're gonna sing. But we're gonna sing just a little bit differently today. 
Normally on a Sunday, we sing because God has delivered us from our own sin and our own death. Normally we sing as a response of what God has already done. But today, like Judah and like Israel, we're gonna walk to the front lines of a very real battle in our city. And we're not gonna sing as a response to the deliverance of God, but we're gonna sing as a weapon so that God will deliver us. In a second, we're gonna sing. And we're gonna stand here in a second and I want you to do something. I want you to sing with everything you got. I want you to sing with everything you have because here's what I know. Church, there is power in your worship. There is power in your song. There is power, real power in your praise. And so don't sing today like a church attender. Don't sing today like like a choir boy. Don't sing today like somebody that lives in in the suburbs. I want you to sing today like a warrior. Sing today like a warrior because when you do, we are proclaiming at the top of our voices so that all of hell can be reminded today that fear and hopelessness and death has forever been conquered through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stand up. Let's go to battle.